Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. Sam Darnold, with time, looking deep downfield into the end zone. Touchdown Jets, Robbie Anderson. And the first TD throw of Sam Darnold's career goes 41 yards. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com, a website that covers the one and know New York Jets who are fresh off beating the Detroit Lions 4,008-17 to on Monday Night Football to kick off the season. So I had to bring back uh, my man, Dalvin Asario, former co-host of the TOJ podcast. We have a half-hour conversation that alternates between gushing about what happened on Monday night, uh, analyzing the actual action in the game, and previewing what's to come for Jets-Dolphins in Week 2. Before we jump into our discussion, I want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by two different sponsors both of whom have great events upcoming for the Jets' Week 4 game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Our podcast is brought to you by Game Day Tailgate Experience. Check out the Game Day Tailgate Experience at Jets-Jags in Jacksonville for the ultimate tailgate before the game. Fireman Ed will be there on the ground. It's a proud partner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, so they're going to have an all-inclusive food, open bar, all-you-can-eat, Four-hour pregame party. Welcome for Jets fans. Welcome for Jaguars fans. There'll be TVs to watch the pregame. There'll be live music and entertainment. Family-friendly tailgating experience. They'll also be auctioning off select Jets and Jaguars memorabilia that you could take home. So if you're going to the game in Jacksonville, make sure you go to gtepresents.com to get more information about their tailgate. Check that out. If you are going to be there, if you are not going to Jacksonville and you are going to be in the New Jersey area, come out to William McBride's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. We're going to be hosting another watch party in the back room. We will be recording a podcast after the game. We'll be hanging out, watching Jets, Jags. They have food and drink specials on game day all season long. Again, that's William McBride's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. Watch party on 930 for Jets, Jags. And if you are going to the Jets-Jags game in Jacksonville. Go to Game Day Tailgate Experience. Check out gtepresents.com for all the information on their party and all the events that they will have going on this season. And we are joined by tonight's guest. Who else could we bring in to celebrate week one going the way it went? Besides Dalvin Asario, longtime co-host of this podcast, uh, still our go-to contributor on TurnOnTheJets.com and on our Facebook and, of course, on Twitter. Dalbin, we're recording this Tuesday night. How you feeling right now? 
Uh, you know what, Joe? One, I'm just super glad to be back with you because I feel like it, like jet seasons for the last seven years of my life have been a ritual of doing these pods with you. But on top of that, I honestly couldn't stop smiling all day. It was a it was an insane performance. We were talking a little bit before we came on about just how different it felt. And I honestly could not wait to get to the pod to talk to you about, just share my feelings with you. So it feels good to be talking to you after a really good win last night by the New York Jets. Yeah, I mean, last night, uh, as we were talking about before the podcast, was about as much fun as it's been to watch this team in a really long time. And everything was everything was happening at once. All things that we just don't see this team do. Score a defensive touchdown. Return a punt for a touchdown. Complete long passes down the field for a touchdown. Intercept the ball five times. This was a game that started out from hell. First play, brutal pick six for Darnold. And not just like your run-of-the-mill pick six, like your Mark Sanchez, Ryan Fitzpatrick, throwing across the body, oh my God, what are you doing, pick six. And yeah. I had my phone face down because I couldn't even bother to look at the amount of texts I was being bombed with. Twitter blew up. A lot of people very quickly made a fool of themselves, as I'm sure many Jet fans saw a lot of, we should have started Bridgewater. I told you about Darnold. What was so encouraging is seeing him get punched in the mouth like that the first play and then come out and put together the performance he did. And it really started on the next drive. He converted a tough third down to Neil Sterling. The Jets moved the ball a little bit. The drive did end with a sack. And the game really turned on the next series where Jamal Adams... Drops the Garrett Blunt for a five-yard loss. The Jets pin the Lions deep. They get a great punt return from Andre Roberts, Roberts, who's made me very proud after shilling for him all offseason with a monster <laughs> night of punt returns. Jets get seven thanks to a great third down conversion from Donald to Inouye. Seven-seven, and the game really stabilized from there. They had the big sort of eruption before the half with the Robbie Anderson touchdown on his only catch of the night, which, I, you know... It, couldn't have been drawn up better than from any Jet fan to have Darnold completing a bomb like that to Anderson. Going to the half 17-10, the Lions go right down the field in a drive that I think looked like what a lot of us thought this game could look like for the Jets' defense. And just like that, it's 17-17, and we're all sort of settling in for what feels like going to be a back-and-forth game that could be very close in the fourth quarter. And then the Jets just literally tur- turned on the Jets and completely <laughs> dominated the third quarter. We get a quick answer on the touchdown from Quincy Nuwa. Darren Lee pick six. Yes, Darren Lee pick six. Another Darren Lee interception. An Andre Roberts punt return for a touchdown. A 60-yard touchdown run by Isaiah Crowell, and the route was on. 48-17, Sam Darnold, after his interception, throws for 198 yards, two touchdowns. I believe he only threw five incompletes the rest of the game. After that, Isaiah Crowell, 10 carries over 100 yards, two touchdowns. Bilal Powell, 12 carries, 60 yards. Quincy Inouye, lead receiver on the day, six receptions, 63 yards. Robbie Anderson, one for 41. Terrell Pryor had three grabs and was up over 40 yards defensively. Morris Claiborne, Tremaine Johnson, Jamal Adams, and Darren Lee all record interceptions with Lee getting two. Every stat you could have ever wanted to see happen last night, Dalvin. How did you react to all this in real time, and which play really got you out of your seat the most? 
Well, it's interesting, right? What's the Mike? T- what's the quote about? What's the Mike Tyson quote? Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And I think the Jets. Uh, so I, I mean, when the interception happened, I, uh, one of my friends was like, "See, I told you Darnold would struggle," and I was like, "I mean, it's the one thing that you're taught not to do as a quarterback, right? Throw across your body, because again, this isn't this isn't college, and DBs are going to read that really, really well." But one, the kid settled in, like you mentioned, right? But two, it was just for me. I think the play that did it was the Darren Lee interception. And here's why. I think that there is there is no Jet player on this roster that elicits more ire from fans than Darren Lee. And I think some of it is warranted because he has acted like a 23, 24-year-old in some very, very tough situations that shouldn't have been tough, that were made tougher because of him. But the Jets drafted him essentially to be this switchblade on defense, to be the day on Buchanan for Todd Bowles' defense. And here he was, like one of them was, was again, a, a full read of Matthew Stafford. He could have been the target essentially because he ran the route, took it to the house. The sec- the other interception was a purely athletic play. It was him jumping and, and off the tips of his fingers, bringing it in. And I think for me to see him, seemingly take that step and be the weapon that the Jets thought they were drafting, I think was huge. The second thing that I really enjoyed seeing, and I think one of the things that we talked about this during the during the offseason was Quincy Anua kind of felt like the forgotten man, right? Like you had you had alluded to that. Nobody ever talked about Quincy Anua when they were talking about the Jets' lack of weapons. And yet here he is for me, still the pound for pound best receiver on this team. And as of right now, the best receiver in this division right now, because Julian Edelman is suspended. And he again, showed what kind of weapon he can be. I like that Jeremy Bates used him very similar to how uh, very similar to how Chan Gailey was using him as kind of an H-back and a move piece. And that allowed for Robbie Anderson and Terrell Pryor to get a lot more open looks um, because Robbie Anderson was open a few times and Sam Darnold didn't throw it to him. But lastly, I think for me as a Jamal Adams fan and as a person who called him the best player in his draft class, to see him play exactly how he played at LSU, I think was huge. And I think the big reason why he was able to do that was one, because of Tremaine Johnson, even though Tremaine Johnson went out, the corners did their did, did what they had to do. And Henry Anderson and Leonard Williams continued to get pressure on Matthew Stafford all game. I think that was huge. But Jamal Adams setting the tone for the team. He's the leader of this team. And I think seeing him get a turnover, live in the backfield, cover tight ends, cover wide receivers, I think that was huge. Yeah, we spent a lot of the offseason talking about Adams potentially making this leap and going from a guy who might just be a good to very good starter to being one of the best safeties in the league. And this was one game, and Matthew Stafford looked either washed or hurt. And I don't know how long Matt Patricia is going to last, but look, production is production. And Adams was the guy that we heard about pre-draft last night. He was making plays, blitzing as a linebacker. He was flying all over the back end of the defense as a ball hawk. He held his own despite starting next to Doug Middleton, making his first ever start in extended career action. The Jets had long stretches of the game where guys like Daryl Roberts and rookie Perry Nickerson were playing due to injuries, and Adams held up well. And Matt, if he plays like that and becomes the kind of impact player that a guy like Harrison Smith is for the Vikings, as an example, or Earl Thomas was in his heyday with the Seahawks, That changes the entire dynamic of this defense. And if Darren Lee is going to play like that, because that game was everything the Jets drafted him for and just nothing that we've really seen from him throughout the past two years. It was his first two career interceptions. He did a good job uh, fighting through blocks and taking out a couple screens. That also is going to change this defense. And if this defense is going to elevate from those two playing well, and then guys like Henry Anderson and Frankie Louvu, 
really making a huge impact. I think Anderson, we knew the talent was there, but he was a little quiet in the preseason. There were flashes of it, but he really was all over Stafford all night. And Luvu, an undrafted free agent out there getting major reps at outside linebacker and more than holding his own, those pieces come together. All of a sudden, you have a unit that could be very good. And if that's there to support Sam Darnold, in mm-hmm. this AFC, with how the Jets' schedule is structured, it changes what the ceiling is for this team. We don't want to overreact over one game, but when you see a guy like Adams play like that, and right. a guy like Lee make plays like that, uh, it changes the ceiling. And then, you know, of course, Darnold's a whole other conversation, and we, you know, we, we could gush about him nonstop. But after that interception, just the pocket presence and the poise. Mm-hmm. And when the pass rushes around his feet... He keeps his eyes down the field, and he's looking to make plays down the field. He's not looking to check the ball down. He's not looking to take off and run. He's not looking to throw the ball away, which will become a problem at times. But he's looking down the field to make plays. He immediately already appears to have a great rhythm with Quincy Inouye, but Jeremy Bates did a really nice job of moving around the formation uh, and letting him pick on the middle of the field. And Donald hit on his one deep shot to Anderson. And that's all you – if you hit your – those plays are big enough where if you hit one a game, it's going to have a big enough impact to potentially swing the overall outcome. Uh, I mean, Donald just – again, we watched Mark Sanchez when he was young. We watched Geno Smith when he was young. We've seen other rookie quarterbacks and other teams. He just looks so advanced for a 21-year-old. And he just is going to get – so much better and there's so much he still has to learn and there's still going to be ups and downs but the fact that he could be that productive on Monday night against a team who won eight nine games last year it's the most exciting the most the thing Jet fans have the most to be excited about in a really 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 long time what did you think about Darnold overall yeah, well, before before you get to Darnold, I will say that because you kind of alluded to this. I, I know a lot of people are, are trying to say, like, pump your brakes. It was only one game, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say this is a Detroit Lions team that had two 1,000-yard receivers, and Matthew Stafford was essentially a top-10 quarterback last year. So I think for the Jets to go into Detroit and do what they did, I think, was incredibly impressive. So before we transition to Donald, just hats off to Todd Bowles and his staff because they absolutely undressed Matt Patricia and his team and his coaching staff, and it was not close at all. With that said, Sam Darnold was part of the reason why it wasn't close. And one of the reasons why I kept like saying that the Jets should trade for Khalil Mack, they should trade for Khalil Mack, is because you don't want a 21-year-old quarterback to have to feel like he has to do it all himself, right? But you're right. If the defense is going to play to the level that they played yesterday, and again, the turnovers come in bunches, the sacks come in bunches, the Jets will regress to the mean, I imagine. But if the defense is there to support him, I think it makes his job easier. But here's what he did. One, he didn't lose the Jets the game. There was no there was a no point other than the pick six where you felt like, you know what, the Lions are going to win this game because he's going to be the one that gives it to him. You never felt like that. And that's something that's kind of unparalleled for, for a rookie quarterback because even with Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith, you almost always felt like there was an opportunity that they would give the game away, right? Like whether Sanchez would throw a pick, whether Geno would throw a pick, whether he'd take a sack in the red zone. I never felt that way with Sam Darnold. And that's saying a lot because I, I genuinely like Geno Smith's uh, ceiling as a quarterback, and I thought that Mark Sanchez with some seasoning could have been a long-term starter here. Darnold's processing speed was insane. You mentioned him keeping his eyes downfield, right? But another thing that he did was he always kept two hands on the ball. So again, those strip sacks that we saw Sanchez have a lot of, those strip sacks that we saw Geno Smith have a lot of, those were not going to happen with Sam Darnold. The mobility was huge. He's not as he's not as athletic as Geno Smith, but what he did do in the pocket was he was able to move and keep his feet set and drive on the ball to hit Quincy Anua, to hit Terrell Pryor to hit Robbie Anderson on, his, on, on, on the deep ball, the one deep ball, which, again, 
I think what you do with that, because the offense, because the running game was so potent, what you do with that is now, again, he hit the shoulder fake. The corner stepped up. So now you have Robbie Anderson versus a safety downfield. That's a mismatch for the Jets every time. But Darnold, the numbers, I, a lot of people were like, oh, well, the, he didn't throw for as many yards as he, as he probably should have. I don't think that, I, I think that doesn't matter so much. The yards will come. But what he did do was he took advantage of his defense, giving him short fields, and he got points, not just field goals. He got touchdowns. And I think that's huge as well. Absolutely. I, I just, and again, he had a, a YPA of over nine yards. So I think, you know, you're, you're nitpicking there if, if you're going over the yardage total. And this was a game that was out of hand by halfway through the third quarter. So I think that absolutely, absolutely. Bit. And I mean, I mean it, was it was the second, and it was also arguably that and Baltimore's throbbing of Buffalo were the two biggest blowouts. And Buff and Baltimore went to Lamar Jackson. They went to the third. You know, so by all intents and purposes, the Jets could have gone to Josh McCown at some point and just kind of rested Darnold for, you know, because they have a short week but I, I think Darnold played I think he displayed he's wise beyond his years because there were plays where he was just like you know what I'll chuck it away but even the fact that he only had five incompletions the rest of the way that's incredibly impressive too before we dive into talking about what's next with the Jets hosting Miami at home this week let's just quickly run through a few other tidbits on things that we like and things that we didn't like it's hard to find anything that, not to like from the game some other somewhat under the radar things that I thought were encouraging Terrell Pryor having all three of his catches and grabbing a pass over 20 yards. He's a real massive target out there. I'm very curious to see where Jermaine Curse fits into this offense. Uh, Curse still a valuable veteran. He was the kind of guy that I would occasionally tweet about potentially being on the trade balcony. You usually got a lot of angry responses to that. But if those three guys, uh, Anderson, Inouye, and Pryor, going to be healthy and productive, and you're going to be using your tight ends as much as the Jets did last night, where they regularly had three on the field and played a lot of Sterling, Tomlinson, and even rookie Chris Herndon. I just wonder where Curse is going to fit in. And I'm not saying that they should trade trade him. You do want to have depth. Uh, but it does look like they Andre Roberts played offense last night. He actually got a carry on a reverse. I'm just curious to see how that plays out and who he potentially takes reps away from. As right. we mentioned before defensively, I thought Anderson looked really good. I got a lot of questions about where's Nathan Shepard, where's Nathan Shepard. Shepard played last night. He didn't make as much of a noted impact as a guy like Anderson did, but this is a rookie who was playing at a very small school playing in his first real NFL game. There's going to be a bit of a learning curve, and he's going to have games where he pops more than the other, more than others. thought Steve McClendon uh, did what he always does, occupies a lot of space and makes life easier on the players around him. Brandon Copeland... Uh, played a little bit at outside linebacker and held his own. I think a little concerning on the back end, it was not a great night for Tremaine Johnson. Got banged up, uh, got beat a few times down the field, got called for a pass interference penalty, had an interception, and then fumbled it away. Uh, not the best game for him. Morris Claiborne, on the other hand, played very well, had the, a beautiful interception down the sideline and held on to it. Uh, after the play, Screen got banged up a little bit early. I uh, came back. Perry Nickerson got a taunting penalty on his first ever NFL play, which is nothing <laughs> you see every day. Uh, and Doug Middleton held his own. And, and just judging from Todd Bowles' tone and other things we've heard, I'm not betting on we're seeing Marcus May this week or maybe even the week after. I don't think the Jets want to rush him back and turn this into an entire lost season. I would not be surprised if we didn't see May until week four. So encouraging that Middleton held his own. He wasn't perfect, but he wasn't a glaring weakness out there. So it's going to be interesting to see now how this team handles success. A lot of praise going to be coming their way. 
big win on primetime. Now you got a short week. You're going home. Before we move on to talking about week two against Miami, any other things you want to call out for the game that aren't being discussed as much, Dalvin? Yeah, I mean, I think, you again, you alluded to it with the cornerbacks. I think Perry Nickerson got robbed of an interception in the back of the end zone on an incredible play, realistically. Um, but I think he came in, and the taunting penalty aside, more than held his own, right? Dale Roberts, I thought, did well as well. Um, and this is a team that, again, you see Tremaine Johnson get an interception, get popped, he fumbles, goes into the concussion protocol. A team could have a letdown there. So, again, I don't think it can be said enough how how one prepared this, this Jets team looked, and that's a credit to Todd Bowles, but also how they bounced back from that pick six. They didn't blink at all. They said, okay, you know, that was the, that was the right play, just the wrong decision. Let's get back to it. And they answered everything that the Lions threw at them. And honestly, there was, there's a video that did rounds where it's Matt Patricia throwing his hands up saying, I quit. I think the Lions quit very early on. And the Giants, the Jets in particular, I think it was, I think it was impressive to see them put their necks on the throat of a team that came in much better than they were on paper and absolutely take their souls. I thought it was really impressive. Yeah, I think Detroit is going to have some Matt Patricia problems, in the, both in the near term and in the long term, if there is a long term. That is a, a scary performance for a team in their first game under a new coach. And there had already been rumblings all preseason about problems there. And Jets defenders were talking about no and Stafford signals, which is definitely concerning for the Lions. So Jets win, put the game behind them. We're anticipating seeing Jermaine Curse next week, probably not anticipating seeing Marcus May, Kevin Pierre-Lewis comes off suspension, so there'll likely be a corresponding roster move. Where that comes from, uh, not exactly sure, a little hard to say at this point. They are carrying seven corners, so maybe it ends up being one of them, or maybe they don't carry four tight ends. Hard to say, but I, I would guess the Jets probably activate him to the roster in some way. Elsewhere around the AFC, New England won a game that was not as close as it looked against Houston to move to 1-0. The Bills... Proved themselves to be the worst team in the league that all of us thought they were by getting absolutely embarrassed by the Baltimore Ravens of all teams. And the Dolphins won a very weird game against the Tennessee Titans that took about 19 hours because of lightning. Maybe the NFL (laughs) should stop playing week one games in South Florida because this seems to happen every single year. So Dolphins week two. This sounds very crazy to say, and I try to be a very pragmatic, (laughs) rational person when I talk about this team. But if the Jets fancy themselves as a wild card contender this year, this is the kind of game that you have to win. And I say that because you need to win your non-Patriots division games. You need to take advantage of having Buffalo and to a lesser extent Miami in your division. You need to be able to beat fairly average to below average teams in your building. I would say Miami is probably closer to average than below average right now coming off their week one win. And these are the kind of games, an example of the kind of game you're going to need to win and take advantage of. Until proven otherwise, you have to assume that you're going to lose to New England twice, which means you've got to get at least three of your four from Miami and Buffalo, if not all four of them, if you're going to be 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six and try to find your way into a playoff spot. All wins are great. Division wins are better. Conference wins are, conference wins are better than NFC wins, and then division wins are better than conference wins. This should be a winnable game for this Jets team. Miami did not look like world beaters in their opener against Tennessee. Uh, They did play relatively well defensively. They forced Marcus Mariota into some mistakes. They knocked him out of the game. They got to play against Blaine Gabbert when the game was still in question late in the action. So um, 
I didn't see them do anything that was overly surprising. They mixed the match a little bit with Frank Gore. Uh, they had Kenyon Drake in there splitting action with him at running back. Danny Amendola uh, worked in now at receiver for them, but Kenny Stills was really the guy who made a couple big plays for them, had a pair of touchdowns, including a long one down the field late in the game. They also returned a kick for a touchdown by Jakeem Grant. I think as the last I saw, the Jets are three-point favorites, which makes sense with the home field advantage. We saw the Jets play well against Miami last year. They really should have swept them. Of course, we were dealing with the Jay Cutler and Matt Moore experience. It's a little different. Tannehill, I think a thoroughly mediocre, middle-of-the-road quarterback. What are your expectations for this game, and what concerns you about Miami? Um, honestly, nothing. And, and that, and again, that may sound like incredibly overconfident or whatever the case may be. And if so, whatever. But I think one of the things that for me in the AFC East in particular, I, when I, when I stood, when we did our TOJ power rankings and we kind of all came together and started putting them, I had Buffalo 32 and Miami 30, because I felt that they were two of the three worst teams in the league. And Buffalo, I think is the worst team in football and they're going, they're in play for the number one pick in the draft. But which I, I feel like they don't even have their first round pick because they may have given it up to get Josh Allen. And then um, and then now you have Miami, who, again, Ryan Tannehill, you're going to look at his numbers. People are going to say, oh, well, he completed, you know, 70 percent of his passes, but he also had two picks. He had a six. He had an eight point four yards per attempt average, but he had a six point four adjusted yards per attempt average, which, again, that tells more of a story that the Dolphins were really taking more shots, again, below the first down marker, which, again, is a staple of the Adams Gate, Adam Gase offense. Right. Quick hitting and all that. Kenyon Drake was absolutely useless, averaging three point four yards a carry. Frank Gore was the guy nine carries, 61 yards. But again, this is Frank Gore, who is in his 30s and who it should not be the feature back in Miami. And him and Drake split the carries 14 to 9, and it made no sense to me at all. Um, their best receiver was their best receiver was Jakeem Grant. He had five catches on seven targets. I get that Kenny Stills had over 100 yards. I do not think he goes over 100 yards in this game. He cooked Mar- he cooked Malcolm Butler on a fly route that was just insane to me. But again, Malcolm Butler is a guy who. Got got a lot of rep for having a having the interception in the in the Super Bowl, and that's it. You know, because last year he was thoroughly not that good, and so not nothing really. I think Miami with what they want to do is they want to run the ball behind behind a solid O line. I think they don't have the back to do that right now, and I think that puts so much pressure on Ryan Tannehill and his miscast collection of receivers. His number one Devontae Parker was out last week. He's probably not going to play this week. So essentially, he's throwing to Danny Amendola, who's had some pretty big games against the Jets with some big catches. And Kenny Stills, who the hope is that Kenny Stills can beat Mo Claiborne or Trevane Johnson deep, and I just don't see that. So I think the Jets, you're right. I think this is a game that they should win. And then in turn, again, you don't want to look too far ahead. But if this is a different team, if this is a new era, like Jamal Adams keeps saying, if, they, if Steve McClendon broke it down perfectly, he's like, we're trying to go to 1-0 and next week. They're not looking too far ahead. But if they get to Miami, there is a very good chance that they are 3-1 and at the end of September. And that is huge for a team that a lot of people left for dead before the season started. Yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to expect the Jets to win this game. I think you, you expect to win your home divisional games unless you're playing New England as it stands right now. And, of course, you, you want to win that game. But I think when you get Miami at home at this point of the season, there's no reason to expect the Jets shouldn't win this game. I think it's really going to be how does a young team handle success? How does Darnold handle that first game in New York in front of a crowd that should be completely bonkers and raucous and out of control? I unfortunately could not go because my son should be born any minute now. I've been talking to my wife's stomach and seeing if he could come out like just after the game Sunday and then right before the Browns game Thursday. But 
We're going to let uh, God do his work, and we'll see where he comes. But I'm looking forward <laughs> to getting out uh, out to that stadium at some point in October and November, and I'm sure it's going to be a great great environment at MetLife on, on Sunday. And uh, It's a game that, again, I think if the Jets do more of what they did against Detroit, mix and match with a lot of different weapons, the 1A, 1B approach with Crowell and Powell, uh, offensively, Mix and match how they're moving Anua around the formation, try to manufacture touches for him in the screen game, find a way to keep guys like Pryor integrated and keep Anderson involved in the game plan and take your shots with him when they're there, and then see how they use guys like Jermaine Curse now that he's back and Neil Sterling, who did have three catches uh, week one against the Lions. Defensively, you know, find a way to get after Tannehill. The Jets are going to continue to blitz pretty, pretty frequently, and Bowles has had success Coming after Tannehill, I'm thinking mostly about 2015, where I feel like Buster Screen blitzed 87 times out of the slot in the London game. Uh, and I don't think the Jets are going to be shy about coming after him. So I, I don't think the Jets are going to win 48-17. I don't know if that's going to happen again this year. But I think this will be a close divisional game, and it's a game that they have a very good chance to win. And like you said, you do not want to look too far ahead. But if you win this game, you get Cleveland four days after that and have a real opportunity to compile some wins here early in the season because the schedule will get harder. New England's still coming up twice. Green Bay and that robot leg. I don't know how the hell he did it. Aaron Rodgers is still coming up. Uh, The Texans look rough week one, but as Watson gets healthier, they're going to be a tougher opponent and have a tough defense. And you also get the Vikings uh, a few weeks who looked really good week one. Credit to Kirk Cousins, played well uh, in his debut there. So, I think that's basically it. It was it was a fun week one, Jets fans. It, it was fun uh, watching alongside everybody at Twitter. Uh, on Twitter, it will be fun uh, getting out to the stadium in a few weeks. Uh, there are going to be peaks and valleys this season, particularly around Darnold. There's going to be games down the season where he turns the ball over a few times like he did on that pick six. It's not all going to be smooth sailing, but the overall infrastructure appears to be there, and the Jets appear, as of now, to have a quarterback that they should be very excited about. And when that piece is in place, everything else becomes a lot easier. It makes life easier on everyone else on the roster. When there is a young quarterback that you have confidence in who is going to make plays to help you give a, help give you a chance to win, it trickles down to the rest of the roster. It is soul-sucking for a football team when they have no quarterback. We saw it with the Denver Broncos at times over the past few years. We see it all the time in the NFL with how bad quarterbacking can be. It just sucks the life out of your team. If you do not have a competent quarterback, you cannot compete in this league. Sorry to tell you that, Raiders fans. Uh, <laughs> Dalvin, any final words before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, two things. One, I think you nailed it on the head. I think you look at the, a team like the Rams and everybody's like, oh, my God, how could they afford all these players? And it's because Jared Goff is on a rookie deal, and Jared Goff is to the point now that he doesn't even have to play in preseason, right? So I think that's one. Two, I think the Jets – Jet fans feel good about what you have right now because I think it's it's incredibly underrated in this league what you can do with a young quarterback and building the team around him. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, and again, you look at a team like Oakland, Oakland has allowed that team to erode around a guy who was an MVP candidate just two years ago. They've allowed that team to erode instead of propping him up. And you don't want to go full Raiders. That's not what you want to do. And you also don't want to go full Bills because the Bills, Josh Allen aside, he may be terrible, but they have nobody on that team that's going to make anything easier for him. So, again, the Jets should feel good about what they've done for Sam Donald. And thirdly, even though people are going to hear this, you know, people are hearing this before the game, a huge uh, shout out to all the first responders on the now 
what is this, uh, 16-year, 17-year anniversary of 9-11. We remember all those that have passed, never forgotten, always remembered, and we thank you for keeping us safe 17 years later. Absolutely. Perfectly said, Dalbin. Uh, I reshared out an article that we published a few years back that Connor wrote uh, about his dad's experience around 9-11. My dad was uh, fortunately not near uh, the site when the planes hit the building, but was there uh, helping dig and, and help clean up what happened after. And for someone who grew up, uh, you know, 15 miles outside of Manhattan that day, definitely will always stick with me and stick with everybody in this country and everybody who was in particular, who grew up in and around Manhattan. And, you know, our, our prayers and thoughts are, you know, out to everybody who was impacted by that day. Appreciate everybody staying with us, all the support for the podcast and for the site. We will be back next week. Now that we are in season, this podcast is going to be longer. Uh, we're at about a half hour now, but and we'll run once a week, uh, likely on Thursdays. Every now and then we'll have an occasional bonus episode, likely a mailbag edition that will run Saturday mornings or maybe Sundays uh, post-game. If there is a gap in the podcast or a gap in my tweeting and coverage, it is because my son has been born. So I will keep everyone, keep everyone posted on that. Should be any day now. Dalbin, thanks again as always. Good to be back chatting. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely.